Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I kind of was inspired with where I currently work. Um, Part-time, we talk about, well, I'll talk about film, just freeform. And I thought, why don't I just do that on the podcast? And talk about how the knowledge that I have, I mean, I've learned it. I didn't, I was not born with all this knowledge. Come on. My love for Marlena Dietrich, my love for German expressionism and film, silent films, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, the great dictator, Charlie Chaplin at his best and controversial. And then people like Catherine Hepburn, who, who, you know, I mean, you think of, you think of method acting and here she was from New England and she, I mean, oh, you could, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do a British accent for Lion of Winter, but she kind of did. There are a few films of hers that I absolutely love. And then there are others that everyone loves that I'm like, eh. Lion of Winter, though, I've said this before and I'll say it again. That's Catherine Hepburn at her best. A lot of people were like, oh, she just... Because remember, she won her third Oscar for the end of Famous Tie with Barbara Streisand. Ingrid Bergman opens that envelope and they had warned her. They had said, just remember to read it carefully. <laughs> and then she opens up and says, the winner, it's a tie. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've seen Funny Girl. Oh, that's such a good movie. And then I've seen Catherine Hepburn in Lion of Winter. That performance. There. I mean, I don't want to fan out on her. She was great. And it, in terms of her personal life, I really don't care. I believe that her and Spencer Tracy had a very long, good love affair. As for other things, I don't believe that. Trust me, and I don't. And then you go to someone like... um, I was thinking about this today. I was on my lunch break. And I was thinking of... If if I were teaching a film class right now, I would compile clips from my favorite films and a lot of Tarantino ones. And then I would say to the students now... What was the theme in those clips? And then they would raise their hand and say, Tarantino. Yes. And then some would say, well, but the violence, the sexism, the racial, the racial slurs, the, you know, the language. But then you have the strong female characters like Uma Thurman in Kill Bill, the bride. And Shoshana in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Ooh. And then Brun, uh, Brunhilde from Shaft in the Django. Yeah. Dr. King Schultz in Django. And then, of course, Hans Lander in Inglorious Bastards. Then all the way to Pulp Fiction. And the usage of Motherfucker and Samuel L. Jackson and Royal with Cheese. And also the music. I would talk about Ennio Morricone. I've told this before and people agree with me, but uh, 
Ennio Morricone would not like it that I would compare him to a rock star. And I will. I love the fact that he was so rebellious. He refused to live in Hollywood. He refused to learn English. He didn't need it. He was Ennio fucking Morricone. Okay? Him and Sergio Leone went to school together. They grew up together. So when they did the spaghetti westerns, come on. And see, and this is me just talking free form of of this vast knowledge. My love for films. I mean, at one point I thought about being a cinematographer. It didn't it didn't obviously it didn't happen. It didn't materialize. I had seen There Will Be Blood. And I was so thirsty after seeing it. <laughs> Maybe it was the popcorn. I remember the first time I saw it. My cousin and I went and saw it. He's a filmmaker also. And he put me in my first student film. We were both so astonished. Yeah, it was long. I mean, but I loved it. And then I saw it a second time with my brother and his friend. And they hated me for taking him to that. And I was like, hey, you thought it had... You figured it's got blood in the title. It's about boxing. But the look and the feel of the film... I couldn't put my finger on it, and I and I studied. I thought, "Oh, that's cinematography. It was such beautiful cinematography." But it didn't materialize, and so I figured I'll just talk about these films. And I still have a filmmaker's eye, and I still have a cinematographer's eye in terms of when I take a photo. I know about the vanishing point, and I know about the lighting. Sometimes you just don't need to add effect to it you just shoot it and boom and especially with these cameras that we have now got to think about it these phones are really expensive because the camera and everything that goes into it eventually i will buy a professional camera i'm very intimidated by them my brother lent me his camera and i'm like what do you want me to do with this it just seemed too complicated to me and i and i jokingly think of Amelia Earhart Amelia Earhart she did not like radio contact she did she didn't she didn't bother to learn it she just didn't like it she didn't depend on it and that's how I would I know I'm comparing Amelia Earhart to a, a camera but hey genius is genius and I don't know when I when I point and shoot with this thing you're you're gonna get it you're either gonna get it and I think that's kind of along the lines of a great cinematographer and a great photographer is you just don't know what you're going to get. You're playing with fire right there. It's it dependent on the lighting, dependent on the angle. And also, if your subject stays perfectly still and gives you that moment, boom. And so with films, they give you that moment the lighting sometimes sometimes it's not even about the lighting it's about the color of the film uh and we could talk about uh conrad hall uh who did the cinematography and butch cassidy and the sundance kid and how if you've ever seen butch cassidy and the sundance kid it opens kind of in a sepia, sepia tone a little bit, a little bit sepia tone. And then as they ride out, 
the color starts to come in and like waves nat- almost like naturalistic seriously <laughs> Ooh. see that's what films are films are these beautiful Fil- films are a lot of work or a lot of work I was in a film I was in a student film I remember it and you know when you do things like that first of all I had no dialogue I just carry a chainsaw and that's it I've never seen the finished film my cousin has it somewhere but I've never seen it and in a way maybe I don't need to see it I do remember shaving my head as I often would do and then I and then we put ketchup on the chainsaw because it had because I was an axe I was a chainsaw killer I guess haha <laughs> I don't even like it I don't even like guns so come on and this was in the the hills outside of uh, in Northern California really really hot probably June. I do remember I told him if it's in the budget, buy me something to drink because I am thirsty. I was, I was dying of thirst. Okay, I was like, get this shit finished. <sighs> but I've never, I've never watched it. I think maybe they did watch it, and I didn't want to watch it. And and that's also the thing of, of filmmakers. And actors. I, I love Judy Dench one time she was on Rosie O'Donnell. Remember when Rosie had that show? I love that show. Make fun of Rosie all you want, but that but come on, before Ellen there was Rosie. And she had Dane Judy Dench on and they're and they're showing her clips of the films that she loves and Judy Dench is like I don't watch I don't like watching myself at all. Don't like it. And and Rosie's like, Why not? And she's like well, it's like when you hear a tape recording of your voice and you say, oh, I don't sound like that because from inside, you don't sound the way you sound. Now, when I record these shows, I, I've, li- I've listened to my shows before. I've critiqued my own show. If we want to talk about... And, I, and I'm not going to... This is a film podcast. I'm not going to go into, oh, how you become a successful podcaster. First and foremost... I will say that listening to myself and listening to the show and thinking, okay, why did I say that? Why did, but sometimes I just let it go. It's like when I would write, you just let it go. It's in the ether now. But when I record the, even now I'll listen to it to see how it flows. To see that the microphone is picking up my voice. Cause I refuse to wear the headphones. Bluetooth headphones just don't work. If you've ever recorded like this, the Bluetooth headphones, there is a delay. It sounds like you're catching up to your voice in a race. You're running toward your own voice. If you use regular headphones, it's fine. But the whole setup, like I like the camera thing. I don't like my brother lent me the professional camera and I was like, what the fuck do I do with this? That's the same that I could say with the podcast setup. Right now, I have a microphone hooked up to the phone. So I have an iOS microphone. Sometimes I would record through GarageBand. But then that eats a lot of bit rate. 
so back you know and and i don't want to get into technicalities and stuff and this is a film podcast okay my love of film my love of may west my grandmother loved may west and so i've said often when i got into the classics she was like oh god because i i do remember very vaguely she made us watch the hunchback or no was it the hunchback what was it she made us watch uh Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Spencer Tracy and I was not trying to watch that. Okay. So But it it was thrilling. It was thrilling. It's like, okay. All right. And then to watch those Mae West films and to see that attitude. She didn't just have attitude. She was her own rock star. I love I love what Cher Cher when I that was at the American Film Institute. And they did they did Unfortunately, got cut off, and that's part of technology. But I remember Cher was talking about Mae West, and she said something which was true. She said she wasn't beautiful, she wasn't young, she was a movie star. And then, and then they play this clip of Mae, and Mae had such attitude, and she's like, "Hey, Beulah, yes, ma'am, peel me a grape." And she had that that New York cadence. And, and this, this was the talkies. This was the early days of the talkies. And not only did she look good, she sounded good. She had that New York accent. And she had the early New York accent. I mean, now it's kind of... Forget about it. I can't really do it. Carlos Delano, who is a friend of this show... You do know that's not his real name. <laughs> and we're not going to. One day I will have him on this show if he's doing all right. And, and have him talk for you. And maybe he'll tell you his real name if he feels like it. Because he's, he's one of those guys if he feels like it. But. And he's from Long Island. And I remember him telling me that he went to school uh, in uh, New York, in uh, Syracuse. And he tried to shed the Long Island accent. He, he won't mind if I tell you this. And he's a filmmaker, too. He's an editor. Isn't that right? And he said to me he tried to shed the accent. And what's funny is whenever I would talk to him and he was tired or kind of feeling relaxed... You could hear the Long Island accent come out. And I was like, just let it, let it, let it flow. Come on. Nothing wrong with it. Because the sad thing is, is that people look down upon Long Island accents. I don't. But then, you know, there was it. He said to me one time, uh, the Jersey Shore, that show and the Guido thing. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the Guido on. Remember that? But he he has an editor's mind because I remember we, he would watch a movie and he would tell me to go watch it. And of course, I'm going to go watch it. 
and he watched Milk, and he loved the editing. Okay, but then he watched Slumdog Millionaire, and he hated the editing. He told me that he's very straight up about it. He says, "Oh yeah, that editing. It, it was a good movie, but the editing sucked." It's like, damn, I. I one time joked about hiring him as an editor, but then he said that he has to go to film school to do that because his editing is different. I I don't know. If you want to correct me, come on the show. We'll talk about it. He and I would talk about films all the time. The look and feel of the film. I remember he saw A Single Man, which is such a good movie, directed by Tom Ford, of all people, fashion and film. With Colin Firth as George Faulkner. Oh, that was such a great performance. And that was Colin Firth's first Oscar nomination. And he went on to win an Oscar a year later for The King's Speech. And he told me the look and the feel of that film and the vibe of the film. So, yeah, it it, it is fascinating. And, and that's what brings me together with other people is our love of film and our love of music and... It's the motion picture arts and sciences. And I would be remiss if I don't mention my Canadian listeners. The LNC 666. And I've told them often. Canadians helped to build Hollywood. Think about that. Mary Pickford. United Artists. Charlie Chaplin. Mary Pickford. And and Charlie Chaplin is from England. Mary Pickford was from Canada, as was the great Marie Dressler. Marie Dressler was this great comedian. She was in Dinner at Eight. She was in Tugboat Annie. She was in Men and Bin. She won an Oscar. And so a lot of these early actors and directors came from Canada. You wouldn't have John Huston. If it weren't for Walter Houston, his father, who was from Canada. Okay. And then a lot of these great directors that came from Canada and went over to Hollywood. And Hollywood was this, it, first of all, it wasn't the Hollywood that we know it now. It had a lot of orange groves, it was in the desert. You had these mavericks who were coming from all over the world to make films. This is before sound. I mean, Marie Dressler was a vaudevillian. She was on stage. She was a... Or no. Well, yeah, she kind of was. She was a stage actress. And then she started to do silent films that changed everything. So these early mavericks of Hollywood really changed the landscape. We wouldn't have it the way we it is now. And even now, it's kind of a little jaded and watered down. And it has lost its lust. Because Hollywood really is about lust. Think about the, the, the lust of, okay, you're going to go and you're making make this film. It's either going to be an independent, an indie flick. Or it's going to be... The proverbial, I I think rom-coms, really, that term has bastardized film. Such as chick flick that really has bastardized film. 
because there's a lot of great films with female cast that really, when you call it a chick flick, it bastardizes it and it turns it into a shit show. So then people won't watch it. Oh, it's a chick flick. I'm not going to watch. So then you're adding sexism into the mix. You can think of something like Wait and Tax Hell. Wait and Tax Hell really is not a chick flick. And then people have talked about the male bashing and waiting to exhale. First of all, as a male, I don't see it as male bashing because waiting to exhale is written from a female standpoint. Terry McMillan. This is her vision of these four. Are there four women? I mean, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've seen waiting to exhale. You got Bernadine played by the amazing Angela Bassett. You've got Gloria, played by uh, uh, Loretta Devine. Loretta Devine, who's such a great actress. You've got Leela Rashawn as, uh, what was her name? Uh, See, it's been a long time. I loved how someone once, they called it the waiting to cough. Okay, Leela Rashawn is Robin. Whitney Houston, hello, is Savannah. Okay. Directed by Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, who is now this Academy Award winning actor. Forrest also went on to direct Hope Floats with Sandra Bullock. Now, would you call that a chick flick? And, and and see, that's where you're bastardizing film. It's like you're putting these these genres and you're putting it in a box. It's like if it's a foreign film. Oh, it's a foreign film. I'm not going to watch it. I've had people tell me that before. Oh, it's got subtitles. I don't want to read the movie. And I've always had a problem with that because then that, that that's like people saying they won't do this because it's the because it's a foreigner. Okay. And I remind them, you know, the United States is filled with immigrants. This is a land of immigrants. The Native Americans came here first. The Native, the indigenous people. All right. We are all foreigners coming from different climates and different continents. So foreign film really is American film. All these different dialects. I remember the, the first time I watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I made the mistake of renting the dubbed version, and it was horrible. And I really should have just rented the version with the subtitles. And I remember the first film that I watched where there were subtitles, and I really enjoyed it, was La Femme Nikita, and it was all in French. I don't know French. And so that's where... If we go back to generalization of film, it bastardizes film because it turns it into a shit show. And people, you know, another I've talked about Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise really isn't a chick flick because I like I said, why would you generalize it? Even Ridley Scott never set out to make a chick flick. Thelma and Louise really is it's a road movie but it's also social commentary because of that run in with the trucker 
and the way her and Thelma turn the tables on him. Okay. And that you know he he's doing these very sexist things as he's in his truck. But then but then are all truckers like that? No. They're not. But they come across this one and I love how they call him out. And she's like she's like really really that business with your tongue? What is that? That is disgusting. And then Susan Saran and she's like, what is that other shit pointing to your lap? Talking about what a big fat slob I am? Or does that mean suck my dick? And then he's like, you women are crazy. And then they pull out the guns. And so that's where it's not a chick flick. It's been called a feminist romp. Thelma Louise was a very controversial movie when it came out. 30 years later, people are still talking about Thelma. They're talking about them driving off the cliff. And if I've ruined it for you and you've never seen th- and I'm, I know my listeners have, have watched Thelma and Louise, you know what happened. They drove off the fucking cliff. Roger Ebert had a problem with that. He didn't like how the film ended. Ridley Scott stands by that. And I love Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott has a film coming out called House of Gucci. <laughs> And the poster alone, the trailer. I love Lady Gaga. I love that we get to see what she can really do. You know, the Madonna comparison stopped there. First of all, Madonna can't act for shit. I I love the music. We've all seen Who's That Girl. It's funny. Dick Tracy, she's playing herself, basically. All right. Truth or Dare in bed with Madonna. It's a documentary. Madonna being herself. Maybe. Or the character that she's created. Which is now a parody of herself. But enough Madonna bashing. But Lady Gaga. That's where the the Madonna comparisons really are are silly. And kind of uh, journalistic bullshit. Uh, To quote Joni Mitchell. Who has a big issue with journalists. Um. Lady Gaga, such a damn good actress. And we got I got that taste when I saw her play The Countess in American Horror Story Hotel. And I thought, what the fuck is this? What is this character she has created? It was it was vigorous, it was a vampire, and at the same time it was this glamorous bloodsucker thirsty, powerful, illuminating, warm, cold, everything that you could want. This this relic of old Hollywood and at the same time she's got all of these tricks in her bag and all this magic. It was kind of like a Stevie Nicks song, Edge of 17 maybe with a little bit of uh Belladonna mixed in. And and then we enter A Star is Born opposite Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, who really should have won that Oscar. He was so good, not just as the director, but what he brought out of Lady Gaga. And there this re- there's this really great table reading where they're preparing for the film, okay? Despite Barbara Streisand having a problem with it later. When the, fir- the film first came out, she was all for it. 
whatever. I guess she switched um, some kind of weed. Um, and there's a there's a table reading, and Lady Gaga is singing "Shallow" at the table reading a cappella. So at the same time, she's able to do that vocally, and then she's able to pull out this character in "A Star Is Born." At the same time, giving a nod to Judy Garland and singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And then the nose thing to Streisand in the first, in the second, or no, not the first. I think it was the third, The Star is Born. And so, and I've been revving it up when I first saw the trailer. I did a whole show on the trailer of The House of Gucci. To, to see Lady Gaga play this murderous character and at the same time, but bring that accent into the forefront. I am such a fan of hers. It's not just the music, and and she transcends music. And and I really should, you know, take a pill and just say fuck it and call it a day. Um, but she is just so fascinating as a performer. And I don't just mean a musical performer, but acting wise, I am so. I am just excited for this performance. I I mean I, I can't tell you. And in fact we're we're just gonna play the clip for the fuck of it. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. Synonymous with words. Style. Power. But that name was a curse too. I've been a Gucci all my life. Your name is in the history books. <laughs> Let's pull away. I love I love how she that accent. Her accent has been ridiculed and you know, nobody's perfect. As I said before, Catherine Hepburn played Eleanor of Aquitaine. Is she going to do a British accent? Catherine Hepburn is from New England. Come on. That's as British as you're going to get. <laughs> British American. So Lady Gaga doing this accent. I love it. I love it. Hold on. Oh, here we go. This is where it gets good. You picked the real firecracker. She's a handful. myself to be a particularly ethical person but I am fair can you keep a secret father son and house of Gucci hello now for copyright I do have to mention the clip of Blondie's uh, heart of glass Hello, 1976. Chrysalis Records, Warner Brothers. (sighs) 
Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, who turns out these performances that are so iconic and so... Her music videos are like movies. Well, they are movies. Not like movies. Bad, bad me. That GUI video is Lady Gaga at her best. It's epic. It's over the top. And that's what she does. So that's what she's bringing to to this to this this Gucci film. She is bringing Gaga over the top, but she's not playing Gaga. And it just so happens this is a a Ridley Scott film. Ridley Scott is very interesting because he's got two films coming out. Um, I've I've always been a, a, a Ridley Scott fan. Not so much Alien, but like Blade Runner. I mean, Aliens is good. I mean, Alien, because Aliens is James Cameron. Okay, so Lady Gaga plays Patrizia Raggini, also Mrs. Gucci, the ex-wife. Adam Driver is Maurizio Gucci. Gucci. Jared Leto is Paolo Gucci. Jeremy Irons is Rudolph Gucci. Al Pacino, oh God. You've got Al Pacino in here? Come on. Aldo Gucci. Or for Jason Almi, I'll, I'll do the Gucci voice. Lady Gaga is Patrizia Gucci. Adam Driver is Maurizio Gucci. Jared Leto is Paolo Gucci. Yeah. <laughs> but back to Ridley Scott. Can we just give him the Oscar, please? The man is 83 years old. Give him his Oscar. <sighs> I, I'm such a fan of his. I really am. He's never. He's been nominated for three Academy Awards for directing. Thumb and Louise, Gladiator, and Black Hawk Down. Or as my friend likes to call it, Black Cock Down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, God. Why did he tell me that? Why did I repeat it? See what I mean? What happens on the Dr. Seuss film podcast? And and I apologize. That is politically incorrect. Although, I'm sure there is a porno out there somewhere with it. Um, uh, see, I lost my train of thought. See what happens when I'm bad on this podcast. Um... Yeah. He has a film though coming out. Um The Last Duelist. Okay, The Last Duel. It came out didn't do too well. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were gonna kiss in this. <laughs> yeah. So this is where we get silly. Sometimes you have to get silly. Um, yeah. But as for the House of Gucci, I'm looking forward to it. After seeing Hollywood Halloween Kills. Oh my god. <laughs> I've talked about it. I've put it to bed. It was gory. There were things that were done with knives in that film that I thought, oh god, special effects, here we go. I mean... 
Michael Myers and Madonna share a lot. You know, they've both been around a long time and you just can't get rid of them, you know? Um, and I mean that in the sincerest possible way. Not in a sexist, oh, I hate Madonna because she's older. No, no, no. If you look at Madonna, Madonna has that trajectory for 40 fucking years. She's been around for 40 years. This trendsetter, this, this, she's brilliant. She's a brilliant marketeer. She knows what she wants. She knows. But I think now it's kind of like, okay. I was watching an interview with her with Jimmy Fallon and I just thought, what did you do to yourself? And and she had a concert movie to promote. And I'm like, okay. And the grill. The grill. I like grills, but come on. No thank you, material girl. It said material girl, not material grill. Okay. But enough ba- bashing Madonna. Um... I'll leave that to Lady Gaga. (laughs) It's the Dr. Zeus film podcast. You get what you want. You know what I mean? So unpleasant dreams. 